0: This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So opening text this afternoon is in Matthew chapter 6 verse 15. Matthew chapter 6 verse 15. Why can't we forgive? The greatest need in our world today, I believe, is forgiveness. Many people are longing for peace in their hearts, but they'll never have it unless they have the full and complete forgiveness toward those who have hurt them. You know, a former Bible worker of mine um, was getting married, and she called me and she said, Look, Pastor, if you were to narrow it down to one thing, to what makes it for successful relationships that um, we're in all conflict in a marriage or in, in a relationship between a boyfriend and a girlfriend, what would you say it would be? And I guess without even thinking, I spilled out forgiveness. Because when you think about it, I mean, they're, they're the, the, the emotional healing of going to the root cause and, and healing from that, and that stops a certain conflict. And healing from a, a different, of anger, right? And that stops another, another angle of, of um, conflict, and you deal with another issue of having guilt or low self-worth, and that stops another conflict in your, in your marriage and relationships. But something about forgiveness where even if you had healed from all of those things, I've had people tell me that, you know, I, don't, I have no love for my husband anymore. I have absolutely no love for my wife anymore. And so something needs to happen in the heart where actually there's an experience of forgiveness where actually one is set free. And I want that, how about you? What do you say, amen? A woman was being counseled for bitterness against her mom. And as she was being counseled in this forgiveness, um, she kept saying to her counselor, you know, I just hate her. I, I don't want, I just can't stand her. And then going on and on and on, and she went home. Then the next session happened So you know, I, I just can't, I can't even think about the horrible things she's done to me, and I, I just can't stand that lady. And then she finished the thing, and, the session, and she went back home again. And then she said again to the next session, No, I just I just kinda handle this. I just can't handle even thinking about her and, and all the things that I don't know she's done to me and I just can't stand that woman. And my, my mom I'm so angry at her. And finally, when um, the counselor couldn't handle enough, he finally said to her, You what you need to do is that you need to move far away from your mom and get away from her and don't even talk to her, don't even um, answer the phone anymore. And then the, the woman, in shock, looked up at him and said, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you that my mom passed away five years ago. There's something about forgiveness for bitterness and anger and resentment that, that is like a chain, like you're chained to it. Even though that person may be gone or 2,000 miles away, it's still consciously and maybe even subconsciously, it, it chains you to your past and your negative emotions and even holds down your happiness. And that's why God came to set the captives free. What do you say, amen? amen. He came to heal us and that's what God wants to experience forgiveness and not no pop psychology forgiveness. What do you say, Amen but true biblical, from the word of God, forgiveness, which is totally different from what the world says how we should forgive one another. God has his method of how forgiveness actually works. You see, the key to forgiveness is not just found in realizing that we need to forgive. Neither is it found in forcing ourselves to forgive other people. But instead, the key to being able to forgive others is found in realizing and believing that God forgives us first. What do you say? Amen? Amen. So as we take a look at forgiveness, may God give us a revelation of his forgiving love. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of being here and the honor of being here. And Lord, as your word is open, we we respect it and we're so grateful you've given us a way. Help us to see the truth in your love is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6 verse 15. Are we forgiven if we don't forgive? That's the question, right? Okay. So notice what it says here. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So if you don't forgive men, so if you don't forgive other people, are you going to be forgiven? No, you won't be forgiven. So think about this process, right? If you don't forgive others, then you won't be forgiven yourself. So, how are we truly forgiven? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. There's a couple of seats up here. If anyone wants to sit up here, three seats or four. The Bible says here in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as what? As we forgive our debtors. So, in other words, we're praying that God will forgive us as we forgive our debtors, right? So I want you to notice this. In other words, the Bible doesn't say we are forgiven by God because we forgive, but instead, the Bible says that we're forgiven by God as we forgive others. Now, how many heard of us said that the reason why we are forgiven by God is because we forgive others? kind of like, well, you know, you don't forgive that person, right? You know, God's going to forgive you because you forgive that person, right? Kind of that concept. How I many you kind of heard that or kind of thought that way? I'm going to see your hands, yeah? Okay, but I want to read this quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy, okay? From Christ's Object Lessons, page 251 in your handout. Notice what it says here. It says, we are not forgiven because we forgive. Can you hear Amen? Amen. I know this is going to probably shake some of your thoughts. We are not forgiven because we forgive, but as we forgive. Did I confuse you? (laughs) I had people email me after the seminar (laughs) several times and said, I just still cannot understand it. It's like, you see, the harder thing is not learning. The harder thing is unlearning. What do you say, huh, amen? Amen. So God wants us to understand what the Bible and the Spirit Prophecies says. I'm going to ask one more time to, if everybody can move in quickly into the, to the, toward the walls and can leave the seats on the outside for people to come in. Thank you very much. So, God doesn't forgive us because we forgive others. In other words, God doesn't give us forgiveness as a reward for forgiving others. But it said, God gives us forgiveness as we forgive others. So, as we forgive others, God forgives us. Now, what does this mean? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, and be you kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake has what forgiven you so in other words we are to forgive others only what as what god has already what forgiven us if that's clear let me say amen amen in other words god doesn't want us to do something as if we have to initiate the forgiveness and then God then comes and responds to us initiating forgiveness to other people and then he comes and responds to that initiation of us so to actually then forgive us. Are you, is that clear? What God wants to do is that God wants to go back to the root cause and he wants us to experience forgiveness from him first. His initiation. And then our response to that of being forgiven by God is to respond and to love and forgive other people. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? So one is, I have to forgive other people first, and then God then responds and forgives me. That is righteousness by works, my works. The other is, I experience God's forgiveness toward me first. He initiates, and in my response, I naturally Out of love for God and one another, I forgive my brother and my sister, not because of me initially, but because I'm responding to what God has already done in my life, and that's righteousness by faith. What do you say, amen? Amen. And so we can say that righteousness by faith and righteousness by works, but the culture of the church has kind of passed down to generation to generation a false understanding of what actually forgiveness really is. It's a hard thing to know what you need to do, but you... Don't have the power to do it. Know that you need to love your brother and sister and you can't do it. Know that you need to forgive your brother and sister, but you know that you can't do it. And God wants to come with a different picture of how much He loves us and how the process actually works. And notice what it says in Christ's Object Lessons in page 251 in your handout. It goes on in that statement. It says, We are not forgiven because we forgive, but what? As we forgive. Then it says here, the ground of all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God, but by our attitude toward others, we show whether we have made that love, that forgiveness, our own. What do you say? Amen? So in other words, by us forgiving others, that's this revealing and showing that whether you have actually received God's Love and actually God's forgiveness in your own heart. You know, if you read the chapter in Christ's object lessons, read it over and over, you're gonna see that's actually true in that whole chapter on forgiveness. You see, we when we forgive others, it reveals that we have truly experienced God's forgiveness toward us. And thus, by this action of forgiveness toward others, we retain the forgiveness of God. That's how we know we have received it. Our actions reveal whether we have made that forgiveness of God our own or not. If we have have received that forgiveness of God in my own life, then, then that will be revealed and I'm going to forgive other people. But if I have not received the forgiveness of God in my own life, that I am a chief of sinners, then I'm not going to give what I have received because I cannot give that which I do not possess. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? This is foundational. So let's go to the story, that parable that Jesus told. Go to Matthew chapter 18 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. This brings it out even more clear in a story that Jesus told. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 25. Experiencing forgiveness. When, When Peter asked Jesus about forgiveness, what did Jesus share? Matthew chapter... 18, verse 23 to 25. Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents, but for as much he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children, all that he had in payment to be made. So first of all, Jesus is telling a parable right here and telling a story and telling about a king and he wanted to call his servants into account. So he called all his servants together, you know, his officers together. And there was found one that he owed 10,000 talents. Now if you would have figured it out, um, I kind of figured it out and 10,000 talents is around 750,000 pounds in gold. And those who follow the market goes around a little under $1,100 an ounce right now. So with this cost, it would be about $13 billion in today's money. Now that's a lot of money, right? So this officer, somehow he owed his king, the government, $13 billion. Now how many you could actually pay $13 billion back? Let me see your hands there. Because I want to be your friend, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. (laughs) $13 billion he owed. Now, because this man wasn't able to pay off his debt, according to the law, all that he had, including his wife and children and himself, was to be sold to help pay off all the debt. And then, look at verse 26. What did the officer then do in verse 26? The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you what? All. He fell down and worshipped the king and pleaded for mercy. So he was pleading for forgiveness and mercy. He then asked for more time so he could actually pay back all that he owed. Now, first of all, do you think that he could pay back all that he owed? Actually, the next verse said he couldn't. But... Did he think that he did he actually think that he could pay back all that he owed? Somehow in his mind, though he couldn't do it, he felt that he actually he could do it. You see, the Bible says that we are all saved by grace through faith and not of works, right? Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? What do you say? Huh? Amen. A hundred percent by grace. In other words, there is nothing to do, we can do to earn or to gain God's love and blessing. What do you say? Amen? But there are pe- many people who, are like this officer, who think that they can earn or gain God's blessing by the things that they do. You see, the servant has become so accustomed to hearing the saying favor for favor. Or I scratch your back, you scratch my back. You ever heard that before? Hey, Johnny, can you help me? You know, my, my car is broken. Can you help me fix the brakes? Hey, man, yeah, no no problem. But don't forget, man, you owe me one. (laughs) You ever heard that before? The world's culture had become so strong that, you know, the servant was thinking that way, you know, favor for a favor. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Somehow, you know, that, yeah, the king was going to do this and he's going to do me a favor, but, yeah, hey, I know in the back of my mind, I know what, you want me to pay you back, king, Right? Favor for a favor, there's nothing free in this world. You're going to forgive me? Okay, I'm going to work my way. I'm going to pay you back. Don't worry about it. I'm going to get you. And people today in the church do the same thing. They do God a favor and expect Him to do a favor back. They say, God has blessed me financially because I pay my tithe. Or I have good health because I go to church. Or they say, if I do something good, God will forgive me. But the Bible says that God sends the rain on the just and the what? Unjust. In other words, God sends the rain on the blessings on the just or the good people and the bad people. Can you hear amen? Amen? You know, God There are special blessings I know that God does give. But you know, God is so loving and merciful that he gives blessing. He blesses the good people and he blesses the wicked people, right? He blesses those who serve him and don't, those who don't serve him. Our motivation for serving God shouldn't be because we're going to get something from God. But instead, our motivation for serving God should be because we love him. What do you say, Amen. And our motivation for serving God shouldn't be because we feel obligated in serving God. It should be out of freedom. And God wants us to experience that freedom in my life, in your life. I want that. How about you? Amen? What did the king then do? Look at verse 27. Matthew chapter 18, verse 27. Notice the Bible says here, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with what? Compassion. So let me ask you a question: Was the king a compassionate king? Let me hear you. What do you think? He was right. So this king was actually a good king. He wasn't a mean king. He was a loving king. He was a compassionate king. And it says he not only that, and he was compassionate. It says and he loosed him and forgave him the what debt? So did the king forgive him the debt, the whole debt? Yes, he did completely. He forgave him everything. Now, the Bible says in Romans 2, verse 4, we learn in this, in this seminar, that what leads us to repentance? God's what? Is the goodness of God, right? That leads us to what? Repentance. So this king revealed his goodness to this officer, right? And as he revealed his his goodness to his officer, I want you to notice that the king did extend his goodness. So his officer had beheld and looked upon this king's goodness when it was offered to him. But the question was, did he actually truly appreciate it and truly receive this forgiveness, right? That's the question. It was offered to him, but did he truly experience it and receive it? So what happened next? Look at verse 28 to 30. Matthew 18, verse 28 to 30. The Bible says here, But the same servant went out and found out one of his fellow servants was owed him a hundred pence. Now, a hundred pence, I kind of figured out. It came out to about $20,000. Now, you know, $20,000 is still a pretty good sum, don't you think, right? Now, kind of think a little bit. What would you do with $20,000, right? How many you would want $20,000? Let me see your hand there. Okay, I want that, okay? Now, I know what you, want, what you want to do with it, right? You want to support our ministry with it, right? What do you say, man? Just kidding. But you imagine you had this $20,000, and you want to, um, you see this guy, and this guy saw, like, he saw, like, wow, I owe him money. I owe him the king's money and he owes me $20,000. But notice what happens, what this guy did. The Bible says here that he owed him 100 pence, 20,000, and he laid hands on him and took him by the what? throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. It says here. And his servant fell down at his feet and besought and pleaded with him. So he grabbed him by his throat. And he said, please, and he fell on his knees and said, please, have patience with me, and I will pay you what? Oh, does that sound familiar? The very same thing he had done to the king is the very same thing that his fellow officer had done to him, it says here. And And the Bible says, and he would not, but went and cast him into the prison till he should pay the debt. Now, I want you to notice that this officer... Physically abused his fellow officer. In other words, it was because this officer didn't experience forgiveness and healing in his heart, he then became an abuser himself. You see, even though it wasn't true, this officer saw his king as an abuser. Now, was a king an abuser? Did the king expect something to be given back to him? No, it was free. Given free. But in the mind of the officer, did he think that the king probably wanted him to return a favor? In his mind. Yes. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone out and said, I said, I'm gonna return and pay you all. He wouldn't have gone out to get that twenty thousand and give that to the king to start his payment. So in the mind, he actually thought that the king was an abuser and beloved. In the same way, our understanding of how God treats us also determines whether we we will be an abuser or not. If we believe that God is an abuser, then we abuse others. If we believe that God is not an abuser, then we will not abuse others. See, our picture of God affects us. As we learn this week, that sin warps a picture of God. And people can't reconcile the God of the Old Testament, but no matter what it said, the Bible still says that God is love. What do you say? Amen? Amen. And so when we see the picture of God, and we need to know that God is not an abuser, what do you say? Amen? Amen? God is like this story, the king. He is a compassionate God. He is a loving God. He is a merciful God. In this story, He's a forgiving God. And when you see all this goodness of God, that goodness will bring us to a true repentance in our lives. I want you to also notice that the psycho abuse. You see, because this officer was abused in his own mind, he then became an abuser to his fellow officer. In other words, in the same way, the abuse, unless they experience healing, always becomes abusers. You say you're never going to be like your mom? unless you experience healing, you're going to treat your kids exactly like your mom treated you. When the sins are passed down to the third and fourth generations, from grandma to mom, then mom to you, then you to your children, the Bible doesn't lie. What do you say? Amen? Amen. God doesn't give this advice so we can read it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's nice. No, God gives us these, these principles to warn us that we need healing in our lives. I need healing in my life. What about you? What do you say? Amen? And the Holy Spirit comes, and what it does is it shows to us. It's like, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way within me, right? And lead me in the way of everlasting. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes and reveals to us different sins at different times. Praise God for justification. What do you say? Amen? But you know, there's something else called sanctification. Can I hear amen? Amen? In other words, sanctification is the Holy Spirit comes into the dark chambers of your heart and opens a dark room of your heart in your life if you will let him. And some people I known and met, they don't want the Holy Spirit. They don't want the Holy Spirit to go there because it's too painful to go there in their life. But the Holy Spirit comes into the dark recesses of your heart and opens a dark Room and the light shines in, and that is where the healing begins. Transparency opens up, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you and show you this is an area in your life where you need to be healed because your relationships are hurting because you have not been healed in this area. The anger that you're showing toward your husband or your wife is a proof, a symptom, a proof that there is a root cause down here that needs to be dealt with. When the other says that those who put God first, last, and best are the happiest people in the world, she meant that. What do you say, amen? And sometimes we've got to think, forget about the most happiest in the world. How about just being happy? How about cracking a smile once in a while? What do you say, amen? And I know some of us can't crack that smile this afternoon. I've been there because the pain is... It's too much to bear. And that's why God wants us to bring that healing in your life. What do you say? Amen? And the Holy Spirit comes and it searches your heart. And I know Laodicea's problem. I know Laodicea's Our problem, my problem, is that we're rich and increased with goods and need of nothing. In other words, we don't need emotional healing in our church. Because we got it all. We have the truth. We hold the oracles of truth. We are the remnant church. What else do we need? We have all the knowledge. We have everything that all the other churches out there don't even understand. We have the Sabbath. We have the 2300-day prophecy. We're living in a day of atonement. We have it all. We don't need anything. We are not wretched. We're not miserable. We're not poor. We're not blind. We're not naked. Those who don't understand present truth who need all these things. But as for me and my house, we are serving the Lord, and why would we not need healing anyway? And I think about Jesus every time He went heal. You know, as all those people who were poor that He was out there. He was healing these people, and these are the people that needed the healing. The, those who were hungry, and it was the religious leaders in the church who were full of themselves, who felt that you know, like a like a sick who had no need of a physician. But beloved, we all need. Jesus healing, I need it. How about you? What do you say, amen? What happened next in verse 31 to 35? Knows what the Bible says here. 31 to 35. The Bible says, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, Oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Should not you also had compassion on your fellow servant? And should you, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was angry, wroth, and he delivered him to the tormentors, that he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses." So what was the king asking to do? He was asking him to forgive, but notice what it says. Shouldn't you have forgiven him even what? As I, there it is again, as I have forgiven him. In other words, the king was only asking the servant to do, the officer to do only what he had first received himself from the king. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? That's how forgiveness works. Our educational system trained us to focus on the symptoms and not dealing with the root cause of reasoning from cause to effect. So we stay stuck on the symptom. We think, no matter, why can't I forgive that person? I have such a hard time. Maybe I need to just read my Bible more. That's my problem. I'll have longer devotions. Or maybe I need to just pray harder and just and, and, and this, and this plead with God and cleanse my fists and just and grind my teeth more. But what God wants us to do is God wants us to follow the biblical principles as he told us in his word and actually how forgiveness actually works. What do you say, amen? And go back to the root cause and realize, wait a minute, I, the problem, the reason why I can't forgive, that's the title of the presentation, Why Can't We Forgive?, the reason why I can't forgive is not that I haven't tried hard enough, not, not, that why, not because I, I need to try more, but the reason why I can't forgive is because there's something here in my heart where I have not experienced true forgiveness in my own life and realized in my life first that I am wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And that's what God wants us to experience, I believe. This afternoon, notice the quotation again. It says, We are not forgiven because we forgive, but as we forgive. The ground of all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God, but by our attitude toward others, we show whether we have made that love our own. So when we have received forgiveness, we are able to forgive. When we have not received forgiveness, we are not able to forgive. So how do we know we receive that forgiveness or not? It is revealed in how we treat one another. And that is all what God is saying here. It is revealed in how you treat one another. Now the next question, I guess, is this. Okay, I understand what you're saying, and that's true. But how do I receive God's love and forgiveness? Is that a good question, right? Okay, so we understand we need that. So how do I see God's love and forgiveness? That's a very good question. You receive it by beholding and looking upon God's goodness, especially as revealed on the cross of Calvary. Because if it's the goodness of God down here that leads us to repentance, right? To feel sorry for our sins and and then ask God for forgiveness and then to receive the forgiveness, that's that's what repentance is. If it's the goodness of God that leads us to that, right? So here we have, if I want to... If I want to forgive somebody, we tend to, like, you know, cleanse our face and our teeth and pray hard and read more, right? But God wants us to deal with the root cause. So we go down here, okay, well, I need to actually experience God's forgiveness, right? But how do I experience God's forgiveness? Well, we experience God's forgiveness and repentance because it is the goodness of God over here, right, that leads us to this repentance and forgiveness, right, that leads us to be able to forgive others. So we got to see the goodness of God. So then you go, how do you see the goodness of God, right? And that is clearly found at the cross. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the cross. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to John chapter 19, verse 6. John 19, verse 6 in your Bibles. What did the religious leaders want to do with Jesus? John chapter 19, verse 6. The Bible says, When a chief priest therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. So what did they want to do to Jesus? They wanted to what? Crucify him, right? Kill him and specifically crucify him. Now the Romans refined crucifixion and used it to execute runaway slaves and the worst criminals. Crucifixion was the most painful and shameful instrument of execution ever practiced by man. It would take about three to seven days to die on the cross. Gangrene was set in from the rusty nails pierced through the hands and feet on the cross. And the pain would be so excruciating as every joint of your body felt torn apart. Death ultimately would come by suffocation. You could not exhale without raising your body up. And when you did this, the pain was unbearable. In the shame of your nakedness, you were exposed to the cold at night and the heat that day. But what makes Christ's death the supreme sacrifice of all? overall? Many martyrs have died, even some may say even worse deaths than even Jesus Christ. I mean, what makes Jesus' death even different than even all these different martyrs? And that's a good question, right? Now, what was the reason why the Jews wanted Jesus to die? Turn to John chapter 19, verse 7. Right there, the next one. John chapter 19, verse 7. The Bible says here, the Jews answered him, because Pilate said, I have no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the what? Son of God. Okay, so he made himself the so what was. What, what law did they, they say that Jesus broke that he deserved to die? The law of what? Blasphemy, which says that a man making himself to be God, right? So they say that he, he's breaking the law of blasphemy. So my next question is, I guess, according to the law of blasph- blasphemy, what was the punishment? That's a good question, right? So let's see what the Bible has to say. Leviticus chapter 24 Verse sixteen, Leviticus chapter twenty four, and let's see what the law of blasphemy's punishment was. Luke, Leviticus twenty four verse sixteen. Know what the Bible says here? Okay, so they wanted Jesus to be crucified. And they asked asked him why. They said because, you know, he's committed the law of blasphemy. Well, let's see what the law of blasphemy was, the penalty was. It says here, and he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely, surely be put to what? Death. Okay, that makes sense, right? They're asking that. But notice what it says here. And all the congregation shall certainly crucify him. Is that what it says? What? Are you sure? What does it say? Don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible had to say. What do you say? Amen? Amen? So, it was to be stoned. So, wait a minute here. The law required that for breaking the law of blasphemy was for Jesus to be stoned. And the Jews knew that. Remember, at one time they said, um, why do you stone me, Jesus said, right? And they said, well, you know... Um, why do you stone me? They said, well, because you broke in the law of blasphemy, right? They're going to stone him. So they knew what the law was, right? So the law was that Jesus was supposed to be stoned, but they wanted him to be crucified. So the next question is, why would they want Jesus to be crucified? Is that a good question, right? So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 to 23. And let's see the reason why they wanted Jesus to be crucified rather than stoned. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, "And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he be and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a what tree? What is another um, phrase for a tree in the Bible? The cross, right?" His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. He that is hanged, right on the tree, is what? Cursed by God. You see, the Jews weren't so angry at Jesus. They had hated him so much. They were not content with just having Jesus murdered. They didn't want Jesus to just die. They wanted Jesus to be cursed by God up there on the cross of Calvary. That's what they wanted for Jesus. Because they had hated him so much. See, to the Jew, when one was hung on a tree, they couldn't offer up a prayer to ask for forgiveness for all of the sins that they committed because they would be a curse of God. And this is what they wanted for Christ. They wanted him to be cursed of God. Now, what did Paul say about Jesus being hung on a tree? Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, in your Bible. Notice the Bible says here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says here, what did Paul say about Jesus being hung on a tree? The Bible says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. In other words, not following the law, as in verse 10, because the curse is everyone that continue not in all things which are written in the book of the law in verse 10. And the Bible says, Christ has redeemed us, or saved us, or bought us from the curse of the law, being made a what? Curse for us. For it's written, curse is everyone that hangs on a what? Tree. Tree. Paul knew that the Jews hated Jesus, and they weren't content with just Jesus being stoned and dying. They wanted Jesus to be cursed by the Father, by God Himself. To take the curse of God means that you could not pray for forgiveness. There was no hope for you. It was eternal separation from God completely. They had wanted this evil curse, and the very evil curse that they had wanted to come upon Jesus was the very means by which they could be saved. What a wonderful God. What do you say, amen? Is the very means that they were to be saved. Now, there's a difference between two deaths. What else happened on the cross? Turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. There are two types of deaths, and let's see the difference between the two different types of death in the Bible. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Notice the Bible says here. What's the difference between the two different types of deaths in the Bible? The Bible says here, and fear not them which kill the, what? Body, but are not able to kill the, what? Soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and, what? Body in hell. So you have two types of deaths, right? You have the body death, which is, what death? Is that, okay, the first death, right? The Bible says in Revelation 20, right? So the first death is here on this earth, right? And then, the second death, when did the second death happen? After the what? Thousand years, the millennium, right? The thousand years, and that's when the second death died. So the first death is just the death of the body. But the second death is, is death of the body and the soul. With eternal separation forever. Now my next question is, has anyone ever died the first death? Huh? Okay, lots of people, right? Has anyone ever died the second death? That's a good question, right? Is that a good question? Has anyone died the second death? Good question. Turn to Matthew 26, verse 38. This is Jesus speaking. He said this. Then said he unto them, My body is exceedingly sorrow, even unto what? Death. In the garden of Gethsemane. Is that what it says? What does it say? My soul. My soul is exceedingly sorrow, even unto death. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus began to experience, not just the first death of the body being destroyed, but he began to experience the eternal separation of, from the Father in the second death. And again, my question is asked, has anyone died the second death? Jesus began to taste death, the soul death or the second death for all humanity, beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, what did Jesus cry on the cross? Matthew 27, verse 46. Matthew 27, verse 46. Notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says here in verse 46, Jesus was upon the cross, the sin was being placed upon him, and he said this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou, what? Forsaken me, abandoned me, separated yourself from me. So Jesus on the cross felt separated from His Father. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Christ was to be made what? Sin for what? Us, right? So on the cross, all the sins of the world was placed upon Christ as He was there hanging on the cross. And also, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says, Your sins have what? What has it done? Separate yourself from who? God. So on the cross... Jesus on the cross and the sins of the world were placed upon the cross unto unto Jesus and because of that the sins were so heavy upon him that it actually separated himself from his father that Jesus himself felt that separation and he made that cry out and he said oh father where are you why have you separated yourself from me was the cry of Jesus my God my God Why? Look at your handout here. Star of Jesus, page 104. It says here, the third time in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says here, a horror of great darkness overcame him. He had lost the presence of his what? Father. It goes on in Desire of Ages 753. The holy angels were beside the cross. The father was with his son, yet his presence was not what? Revealed. It goes on. And in that dreadful hour, Christ was not to be comforted with the Father's presence. Before Gethsemane, Jesus had said in John sixteen thirty two that I am never alone. Right? You remember that? My Father is with me. And I am with my Father. And my, I love my Father. We have always been together. We had never been separated from eternity ages past. We love each other. We always want to to be together. And, And then I came to this world as a baby, but it was just a short time, and I got to recognize my father again, and I love him, and I want to spend time with him. And as we spend time together, I got to know him and love him. I gave him all my heart again as a child, and I recognized at the age of 13 my role in being sacrificed for the world. I still want to go forward with it. And he loved his father, But now on the cross, Jesus was now questioning God as to why he was being abandoned by him. You see, the temptation in Jesus' mind was that his father had forever left him, that his father no longer loved him anymore. Why had he left him all alone? What had gone wrong with the plan, father? Where are you? Why did you abandon me? You know, it's a very sad feeling to die alone. To be breathing your last breath and knowing that no one is actually there with you is a very sad feeling. I had a, in one of the churches where I pastored in a town, there was a man who was dead and his family was in that same town. A man who was dead for one whole week before he was found. Can you imagine falling down and just knowing that this is your last breath and as you're breathing, you're like, there's no one there. And dying all alone, no one to comfort or sympathize with you. And there was Jesus, he felt, the only one who could understand that he actually, who, who loved him and could sympathize, and he loved the presence of his father, and he's longing for his father, like, I love my father, and he loves me, and we want to spend time together, and here's my and my father, now I can't even feel him. And doesn't even love me. What happened, father? Where are you? Why do you separate yourself from me? Was the cry that Jesus was crying. You know, it's not like us today. We thought we we're going to be resurrected. We know we're going to be resurrected. But look look what Jesus says inside. The spirit of the Prophet says about Jesus inside your handout. In Desire of Ages, page 753. It says, the Savior could not see through the porters of the tomb. In other words, he didn't see himself to be resurrected. Hope did not present to him him coming forth from the grave a conqueror or to tell the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God, his Father, that the separation was to be what? Eternal. When Jesus was there on the cross, not only did he felt separated, but... By faith, his, his faith was at that time faltering. And he, he was questioning. He, didn't, he did not feel the presence of his father. And he actually didn't see hope coming through the tomb. He didn't think that he was going to be resurrected. In other words, he believed that the separation was going to be eternal. And guess what? Even though he believed that he was never going to see his father again, he still chose to die for you and me so that you could be with his father. What a God. What do you say, amen? That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much Jesus would give his life for you. Can you imagine him on the cross when he said, Goodbye, Father. Goodbye, angels. Goodbye, universe. Goodbye, humanity. I love you. I'm going to miss being with you. I don't want to be separated from my father, the one I love, for we've never been separated. He loves me and I love him. But if this is the only way for humanity to be saved, then so be it. I would rather die and not exist so that you would be saved. What a God, amen? For I couldn't live a day in my Father's love, all the while knowing that you would be lost. In other words, at the cross, Jesus showed to you and me that he loves you more than he loves himself. And it was in the midst of these conflicting thoughts that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know that the last cry of Jesus was, Into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus' faith faltered, but it did not fail. What do you say, amen? amen. Regardless of his feelings, he went by faith in the word of God that God's plan was the best. And beloved, God's plan is the best for you. What do you say, amen? amen. You may be going to trials and suffering at this time or pain or hurt, but you have to believe in the word of God that God's plan for you is the best because He does, does love you. And don't look at the trials and the suffering and the pain that you're seeing with your eyes and your senses. We must look by faith into His Word for faith coming by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What do you say, amen? And believe the love He has for you and that will get you, that love will get you through whatever trial that you may go through. What came out of Jesus' side when he was pierced with the spear, turn to John chapter 19 verse 34. John 19 verse 34 in your Bibles. The Bible says here, "But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out." what? Blood and what? Water. Blood and water came out of Jesus. It has been said that blood and water came out of Jesus because of the collapse. Of the ruptured heart cavity resulting in a separation of the watery serum from the clotted blood in the pericardium. That's what they say. In other words, Jesus died of a broken heart. There's an actual term for this called Takatsubo cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome. Notice what it says in Desire of Ages 772 It was not the spirit thrust. It was not the pain of the cross that caused the death of Jesus. That cry uttered with a loud voice at the moment of death, the stream of blood and water that flowed from His side declared that He, Jesus, died of a broken heart. He died of a broken heart. His heart was hurt. Because he had lost the presence of his father. That's what he did for you and me on the cross. Eternal separation. Song of Solomon 8.6 says that love is as strong as death. In other words, the love between the father's heart and the son's heart was so strong that when that love was severed by our sins, my sin, and your son's sins, we murdered God on the cross. It literally broke the heart of God and killed him. God is love, thus he was separated from God, which is love. He was separated from love. And his heart was broken. That separation of love was separated. There's a similitude, like a parable. Now what if in this story, I'm going to share with you, what if there was a disease going on all around? You know, in Hawaii right now, we have dengue fever going on. They're trying to contain it. Some people brought it in, and it's going to be contained. But what if there was a disease going around, and, you know, it came from down in Asia, and then um, it went to Hawaii, and then it went to California, and now it's here in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's wiping out whole cities and And people are just dying and by the thousands, and and they're looking for a cure, cure in America, in the United States of America. And finally a notice goes out that they found a cure for this, this dreadful disease. It's like the worst disease there ever has existed here in the United States. And they finally found a cure, and everyone's excited. Um, But it said, but we need some blood. We need some, actually some medium where we can make it grow really quickly. And so we need some some blood to make it, to grow. And so the notice goes out through all the United States and through the, the TV and the news and say, what we need to do is everyone needs to go down to all the hospitals and go to the hospitals. And when you're there, they're going to test your blood, take your labs, and they're going to find if you're the right match to save the world. And so you go down to the local hospital, wherever you're from, and you go there and you and go with your son, and you're standing in line. It took a, a while, several hours, and finally you get to go inside. And they tell you that after they draw your blood, you have to wait an hour to make sure that you, um, you're a match or not, and wait around. So you, they draw your blood. And you're waiting around and finally an hour passes. And, oh, okay, good. Well, we're time to go. And you're walking out the door. And as soon as you're just about out that door and you open the door to walk out, then comes the doctor. And he starts screaming, we have a match. We have a match. And the whole room, it, this erupts in excitement. There's a match. <sighs> there's a match. And so when there's that match, you're, you, they're all excited. You're excited. And then finally, they call, then they go and proceed to call the name of your son. And everyone erupts with joy again. We have a match. And then, (sighs) again. And you're so excited because not only do you have a match that the world's going to be saved, but you're going to have a part to play, but your son is going to have a part to save the world. And you're so excited that he's going to save the world. So you go into the side room with the doctor, and this time as you meet with the doctor, he doesn't, look too happy anymore. And this time he hands you a form to be signed from the United States government. And you start looking and reading, you're ready to sign. You notice a part that says that they need the blood, but it doesn't say how much blood. So you ask the doctor, well, how much blood do you need? What he need for my son? And then the doctor says, we will need all of it. We need all of it. And then you're hurt and You take your son outside and you go over to proceed to tell your son what happened and they said they need your blood. They need all of your blood, son. And it's up to you. You can choose. You don't have to give up all your blood. You don't have to. You can choose to leave and you can live, but you can choose also to give it. It's up to you, son. Finding your little boy says to you, Daddy, if I give my blood, that would mean that you would live. And not only you, Daddy, but that would mean that Mommy would live. And not only that, but that would also mean that baby Annie would live also. Daddy, I want to give my blood for the world to live. And so they quickly, they put him on a gurney and they wheel him in and you follow him into the room and they hook him all up and they start draining his blood slowly and slowly. And then the last moments as, as life almost passes away from him, he's in and out and finally as he almost pass away forever, he cries out to you, Daddy, Daddy, why have you separated yourself? Where are you? Where are you? And in tears you cry to your son. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Beloved, that's the love God has for you. What do you say? Amen? Amen. He loves you so much. And the Bible says those who are forgiven much, love much. And when you see how much you are forgiven on the cross, you will love much. What do you say? Amen? And when you experience it how much God loves you and experience that forgiveness, you're going to love much. And when you have that experience of the cross in your heart and you really experience it, you would then go out and you're going to give to others what you have received. And when people hurt you, what you're going to do is you're going to remember the cross. When people put you down, what you're going to do is you're going to remember the cross. When people lie to you or when your girlfriend cheats on you or your husband abuses you. You're going to remember this. Jesus loved you and forgave you on the cross. And love will awaken love in your heart for those that have hurt you. And by the love of God, you will forgive. What a wonderful God. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Jesus, the Son of God, suffered the pain of believing that his Father had abandoned him on the cross. He suffered the agony that he would never see his Father ever again, a Father whom he loved so much. And all of this for a people who were murdering him with their sins. God the Father also suffered on the cross. He too struggled with giving up his one and only son whom he loved. How could he give up his son, especially for a world that did not love him? And as we meditate upon his love and forgiveness, that love awakens within us and we would then want to go out and love and forgive others as we have been loved and forgiven. I want the same love. How about you? What do you say? Amen? I want that in my heart. I want to challenge you. Read the Desire of Ages. Read the chapters from Gethsemane to Calvary. And let the love of God change my heart and your heart. If you want that, we make a commitment to God by raising your hand this afternoon. Amen. I enjoy being with you. It's been a blessing. Tonight's the last night where we're, we're going to have our booth. I would love to meet you. Come by. And um, in Hawaii, we call it Talk Story and we get to hang out. So God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love you have, for us incredible love. May we experience it every day and every moment of our lives, that we may love and forgive others. is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.